you'll be pleased to know the conclusion of the matter. (laughs) Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Good morning. Um, Do keep that passage um, open in front of you. We're going to look at that. I'm just going to set this recording as well. Hello to the people on Zoom. Um, you guys are sounding amazing, yes. by the way. I th- just, um, yeah, let's give them a big, so good. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help as we look at these uh, verses together. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that that these words written so many years ago are are relevant to us today. And and we pray that you would help us to understand them. That you would bring them alive to us. And that you would show us the Lord Jesus. Help us to celebrate him and adore him by the end of our time here this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. You'd better watch out. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. But, um, <clears throat> why? Why we watch? We've got to watch out because Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, the 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 upbeat, jingly music make those words sound way less creepy than uh, than, than I've just said them there. But these words on their own, taken out of context, they portray an all-seeing, all-knowing, judgmental being who is weighing up who deserves gifts and who doesn't. It's pretty clinical, it's pretty cold, he's indifferent and frankly sinister. It's a brutal, legalistic world. If you miss the mark, tough luck. Now, of course, that's a total misrepresentation of Santa, isn't it? Uh, I don't want to get any letters from Mr. Claus's solicitors, so um, obviously I want to make that clear uh, here and now. But I want to suggest that actually, all too often, the way we think about God um, is in very similar terms to that sort of 
misunderstanding of Santa. We're prone to believe the same misrepresentations of who God really is and what he is really like. We're prone to think that he is cold, indifferent, judgmental, just looking for excuses to punish. But the reality is, the God we meet in the Bible, the God we meet at, at Christmas, is nothing like that. Uh, we're going to be focusing in on, on verse 13 in the passage that was read to us from um, Ecclesiastes. Um, so do have that open up if, if you've got it. And actually, if, if you don't actually have a Bible and would like one, then do take home uh, one of the ones here. It could be an early Christmas present for you. Um, so we're going to focus in on, on verse 13 of, of chapter 12, which is an extraordinary verse, makes an extraordinary claim. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says. Before we kind of unpack what what that means, we need to set the scene a little bit. Here we are right at the end of this book of Ecclesiastes. We've been here for, it feels like a long time, doesn't it, going through um, the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes written by a a teacher, the teacher, a man of immense wealth and and wisdom who sets his mind and his resources to to reflecting on and, and seeking to understand the purpose and meaning of life. Right at the start of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1 verse 2 and 4, look at how he opens his book. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. At the start of his his journey, this is how how he starts. And in that first chapter, he, he shows how death ultimately puts an end to our quest for greatness and gain. He shows us how we come and we go and we're forgotten. And so he says everything is meaningless. That word meaningless equally can be translated as, as, as a vapour. Something that is transient, something that just disappears like a, like a mist. He goes on to, to think about the things that we invest our time and our energy in. The things that we give ourselves to. The things that we give ourselves to, thinking that, that, that these are the things that are going to give us satisfaction. And again, his verdict is that they too are meaningless. They're, they're a vapour. They, they disappear. At chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, he says this, I, desired, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It's pretty bleak and depressing, isn't it, for a Christmas um, service. But um, as, as, he, as he goes on, he, he, he doesn't say that love, good food, wisdom, working hard, friendship are all bad in and of themselves. Uh, have a look at verse uh, chapter 5, for example, verse 18, 19. 
This is what I observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So these good things, the preacher says, if, if we see them for what they really are, gifts from God, well then we can enjoy them. It's when we turn those good things that God gives us into ultimate things that we think are going to give us meaning and purpose and satisfaction, that's when we get into trouble. It's like playing football with a watermelon. It's just going to end in disaster. <laughs> They're not going to do that later this afternoon, are they? Because watermelons are not designed to, to play football with. So these, these good things from God, if we look to these to be the ultimate things, to give us the meaning and satisfaction and purpose that we long for, they're not designed to give us those things. And it's just going to end in disaster. So throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher wants to correct our perspective. He wants to smash to pieces our idea that we can be like God. We want to, to have it all. We, we want to know it all. We, we want to do it all. We want to be happy forever. We, we want to be remembered forever. We want to have all the answers and not be left kind of scratching our heads. But... As he says in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. His point is that, that we are not in control. We have no control over the seasons of life. And we don't understand the bigger picture that only God sees. More than that, we, we can't actually understand that bigger picture because we're not built to be able to do that. We're not able to do it. And as he's gone through this book, he's shown that that, that is actually good news for us. That is liberating for us. And so we come to chapter 12 and his conclusion after all that he has seen and experienced over the years... All the, denying himself nothing. Here's his conclusion. What is the purpose of life? What's it all about? Chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The purpose of life is for us to, to, to fear God and keep his commandments. That's what we are created to do the teacher tells us now i don't know what pops into your head when you hear that word fear fear is probably the most powerful emotion that we feel it's certainly one of the most complex and fascinating emotions isn't it on, on the one hand we love the thrill of a scary adrenaline inducing ride or a scary movie but at the same time, the thought of, of losing someone we love or failing in something that's really important to us can be, can be agonizing and crippling, can't it? But the fear of God is a prominent theme throughout the Bible. Perhaps we might wish it wasn't. 
because fear is a term that has a whole load of baggage and negative connotations. For some of us here, reading that verse, maybe, maybe most of us, we, we see that and we think, how, how can we say that fear of God can be a good thing? What sort of loving God wants us to fear him? Well, we need to do some, some careful thinking to unpack what the Bible means. Uh, and uh, also unpack how our culture shapes our thinking about fear too. Because actually, as you go through the Bible and see what it says about fearing God, perhaps we'll be a bit surprised. Here's one example from Isaiah chapter 11. These are perhaps familiar words. Maybe you've even read them at a carol service uh, already this, this, this Christmas. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. This is a um, prediction of the Messiah, God's promised rescuer king who's to come. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And verse 3. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? This is a description of, of the Messiah. God's promised rescuer king. Amazing description of what he'll be like. But verse 3 should make us sit up and take notice. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Eh? Even he will, will fear the Lord. And not a sort of negative, reluctant, duty kind of fear, but delight. It forces us to, to ask what this fear of the Lord is, that it can be a delight. Perhaps it seems crazy to us that it is even can be like that. But I think it seems crazy to us because we live in a culture of fear. It's, it's striking, actually, how anxious our culture has become. From social media to TV news, there's just a barrage of anxious worry coming at us about war about political turmoil, terrorism, extreme weather, the economy, energy. We, we could go on. But it's not just on a global scale, is it? I wonder how much of our lives are quietly shaped by fear. Think even of, of what we eat. Think even of what you had for breakfast this, this morning, the, the choices you made. Did you go for the full-fat option or, or a low-calorie breakfast? Why? Why not? How sure are you that it wasn't actually carcinogenic or harmful in, in some way? <laughs> or think about parenting. There's a, there's a paranoia surrounding parenting today, isn't there? And there's just this, it seems like an extraordinary paradox. Though we are safer than almost any other society in the whole of history, Safety has become the holy grail that, that we can never quite reach out and, and grab. We are protected like never before, but we're more anxious and panicky than ever before at the same time. 
Now, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to be concerned with our health and want to look after our children and be wise about doing that. But what I am saying is that in the culture around us, the levels of fear and anxiety have been dialed right up. And that's not a healthy or good thing. Now, why, why is it that we live in this culture of fear? Why are the anxiety levels so dialed up? Well, I think the Bible would say it's because we're not doing Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. We've removed God out of the equation. We've removed God as the object of, of, our, of, of fear. Um, and we've replaced him with anything and everything. Our health, the planet. We, we could go on. Those things have become the ultimate things for us instead. Things which, like a watermelon when you're playing football, not designed to, to be in that place, to be um, what, what we fear in, in, in this kind of way. So instead of, of a fear of the Lord, which is life-giving and good, a fear that we can delight in, we have a fear that is crippling and harmful and destructive. But just as the baggage that we associate with fear makes it hard for us to accept what's, what the teacher is telling us here in, in Ecclesiastes, so our, our misunderstandings of what God really is like can, can also do that. Well, the late um, Christopher Hitchens um, described himself as an anti-theist. He um, hated even the idea of the existence of God. He was once asked by Fox News what he thought about the possibility of God's existence. And, uh, and this, is, this is what he said. I think it would be rather awful if it was true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and vigilation of everything you did, you would never have a waking or sleeping moment where you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity. From the moment of your conception to the moment of your death, it would be like living in North Korea. Striking words, aren't they? And if that was your view of, of God, well, you'd be right to run from him, wouldn't you? No one wants to fear in any kind of positive sense an, an angry dictator God like, like that. But the tragedy is that this is just not the God that we encounter in the Bible. This is not the God that we encounter in the Christmas story. So let's think about that for, for a moment. In, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we read this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In every other religion... You have a prophet telling you how you can find God. But with Christianity, we have God coming to find you. That's striking, isn't it? That's, that's what we see at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Son of God, stoops down low to bring us up, to share the life that he has with the Father. He comes to us. He is for us. 
C.S. Lewis called this the central uh, miracle of Christianity. And he's right, isn't he? Jesus, God the Son, experienced the fullness of what it means to be human. So he knows the, the struggles, the temptations, the difficulties, the pain, the sorrows and joys that, that we go through. He's truly able to sympathise with us. He's not out of touch. He's God with us. He's for us. He left the glory of, of heaven for you. In our helplessness, in our lostness, he came to us. He took the initiative. He became one of us so that he might save us. And he didn't come to red carpets and palaces. He came in poverty. The nitty-gritty reality of normal everyday life. He came into our mess to rescue us from our sin. To rescue us from, from our rejection of God, our, our deliberate rejection of, of his ways. As the teacher tells us in Ecclesiastes, we're created to fear God and keep his commands. But by our very nature, we don't do that. We haven't done that. And actually, we can't do that. We reject God as the rightful king. We live as if we are our God. We rebel against what his word tells us is the way to live. And the consequence for that rebellion and rejection are, are, are serious. God is holy. God is a God of justice. And he can't ignore or just kind of sweep it under the carpet. His justice, his perfection means he has to deal with it. He has to punish it. Well, the good news of Christianity is that it's not about us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps to make ourselves worthy for him. But it's about him stooping to us, becoming one of us, so that he could rescue us by taking the punishment we deserved in our place. One of my favourite bits of the Bible is, is Luke chapter 15. Jesus sets out in that chapter... Uh, in a number of stories, parables, showing us God's character and God's love. In one of those stories, a shepherd has 99 sheep, well, has 100 sheep. One is missing. He leaves the 99 behind and searches and searches to find the one that is missing. And when he finds it, he picks it up, puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. That's the, that's the God that we see in the Bible. That's the God we see at Christmas. That's the God we see at Easter. So what does it mean to, to fear him? Well, I thought of the example of Joseph from that first Christmas story. Actually, he's a brilliant example of what it means for us to fear the Lord. So put yourself in his shoes at that first Christmas. For Matthew, writing his gospel, the Christmas story begins in the context of shattered dreams and emotional trauma of a sex scandal. A young couple, engaged, which was legally binding in those days, had their whole lives ahead of them. Mary probably would have been a teenager, Joseph maybe in his 20s, it's hard to, hard to know. But then wham! Joseph discovers Mary is expecting a child. His heart sinks. It hits him like a ton of bricks. 
Shock, anger, confusion, betrayal. What's he going to do now? Imagine how he must have felt. In a culture of of shame and honour, the suspicion would have been horrendous, wouldn't it? What would his family make of it? What would they think of him? And the rest of his life, for for his business as as a carpenter. A checker trade logo on his website is not going to do away with the suspicions and the whisperings and people not wanting to do business with somebody untrustworthy. There was an obvious way out for Joseph. And that was for him to publicly disgrace her, distance himself from the whole thing. Maybe he could save face and and honour somehow. But this young man didn't choose that obvious way out. He showed extraordinary compassion to Mary. But he trusted God. He feared the Lord. He trusted God to keep his promises, even when he couldn't see how the future would, would unfold. He feared God. He knew God is utterly sovereign, in total control. He had the humility to to know that he is not God, that he doesn't see the bigger picture. He knew that God is for him, that God loves him, and that he'd sent Jesus to be God with us, Emmanuel, to be our promised rescuer king. And he trusted God to keep his promises. That's what it means to, to fear the Lord to fear God and that fear of of God in that sense is life giving it is transforming every other type of fear cripples harms but this fear of God actively strengthens and, and gives life And as it grows, it eats up every other fear for breakfast. So let me ask you as as I finish, who or what do you fear this morning? Who or what do you fear? Can I urge you to to follow Joseph's example? As um, Sam already mentioned, uh, we're, we're starting a, a Hope Explored course in, in January. There's, you'll find some um, flyers like this just on the table outside. If you'd love to explore the, the hope that Christians have um, over three weeks, then uh, do grab one of those and get in touch. We'd love for you to, to, to investigate it for yourselves. You'll also find um, all sorts of things you can take away that explore um, what this is all about well let me pray and uh, I'll hand back to Sam (coughs) Heavenly Father thank you for what the Christmas story shows us about what you're like thank you that the Lord Jesus is Emmanuel God with us thank you that you are for us Thank you that you came to rescue us, to find us, to bring us into relationship with you. And we pray that you would 
Help us to truly fear you. Help us to realise who you really are. Help us to have the humility to see what we are really like, how much we need you. Help us to to trust you, to delight in you, to love you, to to build our lives around you, with you at the centre. Thank you that you sent your son to make it possible for us to do that. To deal with our sin. To give us new hearts. Hearts that are able to do that. Thank you that you've given us your spirit to do that too. And, and, and we pray, Father, you would help us this Christmas to fear you. Amen.